Welcome to Live Truth Podcast. Hello to first-time listeners and welcome back to those who have joined the previous episode. Thank you so much for your support by tuning in. It's greatly appreciated. For those who may be tuning in for the first time, Live Truth exists to encourage and equip women to know God, love God, and live truth. So this is our first um, kick episode, which stands for Keep It In Context. And we'll do this by kicking out interpretation that's commonly known as being taken out of context and give the author's intended meaning. Um, In these episodes, we'll also learn biblical interpretation, how to study God's word, learn terms used in the study of God's word, and tools will be given to help aid you in the study of God's word. So jumping right in, today we'll be taking a look at at, um, Matthew 22, 29, which states, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So y'all, there's this self-love movement that's not just in the world, but in the church as well, that's using this verse to say that in order to love others, we must first, and in some cases, we're told to love ourselves more. Um, which is not what this verse nor the rest of God's word is calling us to do in order to love others. So first, what we'll do is take a look at the overarching theme of Matthew, which is Jesus being the Messiah, the long-awaited king of God's people, his ministry, future plans for the church and the kingdom. And so next, I'll give you some definitions of some of the characters in this narrative, um, which were the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. So according to the Student Bible Dictionary, the Pharisees were an influential group of Jews whose name means set apart ones. They were sincere but misled. And I'll add sincerely wrong because y'all, we can be sincerely wrong. And they believed that religious ritual ritual and separation from common centers was the way to please God and to prepare for his coming. As a rule, they did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. Now, the Herodians were a political Jewish party that opposed Jesus and supported the Herods, which were a line of evil Judean kings. And the Sadducees were a group of Jewish people who believed only in the books of the law. They did not believe in the resurrection. They opposed Jesus and his ministry, as did the Pharisees. Now, when we look at the immediate context of this verse, we'll see beginning with verse 15 through verse 36 that the pharisees herodians and sadducees were basically trying to trip jesus up air quote um entangle him in his words and test him by asking him different questions their goal in doing this was to try to get jesus to say something that would discredit him so right before the last question the pharisees heard that the sadducees were silenced by jesus with the answer to their last question Yeah, they can't do nothing with Jesus. I don't know why they were trying. So they gathered together and one of them, which was a Pharisee, decides to ask Jesus to test him again in verse 36 by saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So Jesus answers with verses 37 through 40 by saying, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. And so the two commandments that Jesus gave are what's called an imperative 
And imperatives basically tell us what we should do. And so we we see imperatives all throughout scripture, just as we see what are called indicatives. Indicatives indicate what God has done. So again, an imperative is what we should do. And indicative is basically what God has done. So these are just some terms you can keep in your back pocket as you study God's word um, to know more of what to look for as you study. Um, Now going back to the text, we see Jesus first commands us to love God. Then he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so how are we to do anything God commands us, y'all? Well, first of all, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through a new birth, John 3, 3 says we must be born again. And because we're born again, we're given the fruits of the spirit, which is spoken of in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ultimately, we are able to love because God first loved us. And that's 1 John 4, 19. And so now let's take a look at the definition of love, which is defined in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, which says love is patient, kind, not envious, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong, does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hope, always perseveres, and never fails. Love is also a proof of our discipleship. John 13, 35, which states, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is sincere, Romans 12, 9, abounding, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, and fervent, 1 Peter 22 through 23. And so after naming all of that, I don't know about y'all, but when I read that, it just made me want to cry out to the Lord right then because there's no way that I can look to myself to walk that out. We need every bit of the power that raised Christ from the dead to help us to love others and die to ourselves. So... We're to love by looking to Christ with a grateful heart because of what has taken place on the cross for us. When we grow in our love for the Lord by abiding in him, getting to know him through his word and prayer, worship, doing his will, then that love from abiding in Christ will overflow in our relationship with others. And so we know this by John 15, 4 through 5, which states, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so when Jesus is telling us to love our neighbor as ourselves in Matthew 22 through 39, he's not telling us to love ourselves first or more. This is assuming that we already do. What this verse essentially means in context with the rest of scripture is to, to the degree that we care for ourselves, such as feeding ourselves, clothing, um, when we're thirsty, getting something to drink because we innately love ourselves Ephesians 5 29 tells us for no one ever hated his own flesh but cherishes it and so you might be like I was when I first heard this um in a bible study a couple years ago 
you know, I said, you know, well, I didn't love myself when I was out getting high, staying up all weekend. You know, I wasn't loving myself because then I was trying to numb life away, you know, but it had to be brought to my attention in that moment, essentially Pretty, I pretty much was loving myself just in a sinful, selfish way. You know, I was choosing to do what I wanted to do for me and had no concerns for others and how my actions had an impact on, you know, their lives. So loving others more does lead to selfishness, which will more than likely progress to narcissism. And so 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 proves that self, the self-love movement is only fulfilling what God's word said it would, which in the last days there will be come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to parents ungrateful un and unholy and so our actions as believers should be contrary to this we should mirror the love and humility that paul speaks to us about and tells us what jesus has done for us in philippians 2 1 through 11 which states so if there is any encouragement in christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and so we don't need more self-love since that just that comes naturally for us we need to learn more of what is supernatural which is loving others more and dying to ourselves and so matthew 16 24 through 25 which states then jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my own sake will find it and I would read a quote from um, Pearson Bartholomew Ashwood that I enjoyed. And, um, and the quote says, and quote, walk in love as Christ has loved you. This is the life of heaven and the beginning of that excellent glory, which shall never be removed. There is nothing does make thee more like God, more near and dear to him and more fit for his use than his grace of love. Let your affections be extended as far as the objects of them. Under God, his word, ways, and people, love God to obey him, his ways to walk in them, his people to delight in them, 
to sympathize with them, to mourn over them in their sufferings, to help them in their necessities, to rejoice with them in their consolations, counting their mercies your own, which is no easy part of your duty, close quote. So now, so no, y'all, it's not always easy to love others. You know, actually it can be hard, but it helps us you know, to think about God's goodness, his tolerance for us, his long suffering, grace and mercy and love that we experience in our relationship with him, you know, meditating on what Christ has done for us to be forgiven and be reconciled to the father, you know, how much he forgives us daily. And then my granny always says, if we could just remember the fact for all have sinned, you know, Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we know who we are in Christ, that also helps us um, to understand that we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we are the apple of God's eye. You know, remembering we are all image bearers of God and need to show one another kindness, love, and respect. And if I can be honest, I have been challenged in this area in the last couple of weeks like no other, okay? You know, just it's just been really hard, you know, having to press um, and love. And, you know, what God had to remind me was, you know, that my love for others cannot be predicated upon how I'm feeling about that person that day or whether or not they're getting on my nerve. You know, my love toward others have to be unconditional like Christ's love is um, for me, you know, because I get on my own nerve. Girl, I know I get on other people's nerve, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, just keeping that in mind that we are all, you know, flawed and sinful and, you know, we all need God's grace and we all need to show one another grace. And again, that unconditional love and knowing that none of us deserves the love of Jesus, that we all deserve hell. You know, so I just pray that the Lord will help us to remember that when loving is hard because it will be hard at times. And so, and so with all that being said, I do want to be clear that we are to never compromise truth for the sake of love or peace. Let me say that again. We are to never compromise truth for the sake of of love or peace, you know, because we don't want others to be deceived um, or to stay in their sin because the world would tell us that we're not to speak the truth, not even in love. We are not to, um, and even some in the church, we're not to call out anyone's sin, but love is what causes us or compels us to call out sin because we don't want to see anyone go to hell and face God's wrath, you know his eternal judgment. So we do want to let them know and tell them the truth. Now we do want to prayerfully by God's, God's grace, allow our words to be in given in love and seasoned with grace and salt, because we do want to be a good testimony unto Christ. So in closing, again, we look to Christ to love others, not um, within ourselves. And this is why having a correct biblical interpretation is so important, y'all. If our interpretation is wrong, then nine times out of 10, the way we view God and our application will be wrong. Then what we share um, will be incorrect. And then there goes this ripple effect, you know, like the one that's taking place now. 
And so when we say this scripture, we always want to consider, you know, one, how this passage fits with the rest of the Bible, you know, which means we interpret scripture in light of all scripture, you know, not taking one passage and building a doctrine off of it. We want to consider the historical, cultural, and geographical background. We want to look at who the author is and the audience, you know, what do the verses before and after say, you know, what do the chapters before and after the verse say and so this is not an exhaustive list you know there are so many more things to consider and incorporate when studying God's word um, two books that I do recommend that have been a blessing to me are 40 questions about interpreting the Bible by Robert L Plummer and living by the book the art and science of reading the Bible by Howard G Hendricks and William D Hendricks and so I place a link for both of them in the description box I also have um, I also have some small booklets that are entitled, What Does It Mean to Me? And it has the to me marked out in red because, you know, we do have, you know, people that will read the Bible and we will go through the Bible and say, you know, what does this verse mean to me? And, you know, and that's incorrect because we want to say, okay, what was the author's intended meaning of this text? You know, what was the author trying to say? And once we figure out what the author's trying to say, then we can get an application and apply it to our lives. But we never want to go, go to God's word and say, hey, what does this mean to me? Um, and so if you would like one of these little booklets, um, I'll be happy to mail one to you. Just contact me. My um, contact information will be in the description. I'll be happy to mail one out to you. And so y'all, God has called us in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so Will we always get it right? Of course not. We are fallible. However, we don't want to be lax and careless in the study and handling of God's word. And so, y'all, I pray this episode has blessed you. If it has, please share it on social media with family and friends. And please write um, a review on Apple Podcasts or rate it on Apple Podcasts for me. Um, I would like to also hear your feedback. You can contact me. Um, again, my contact information is in the description box. Ladies, if you would like for me to flesh this out a little more or would like to discuss it further, join the Facebook group called Sisters Living in Truth. If there is anyone listening that has not um, realized that you are a sinner, who has sinned against our holy God and in need of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came in this world, born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life and died a brutal death on a cross by the ones he came to save. You know, and then he rose three days later, conquering sin and death. And so, y'all, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus states this in John 14, 6 by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Without placing our faith in Christ and repentance, we will face God's wrath and eternal judgment when Jesus returns. If you have not done so, please place your faith in Christ today. Come to the living water, the water that never runs dry. Jesus said, you will never thirst again. So come y'all. This is a call to die so that you can live. If you are ready to turn away from your old way of life and place your faith in Christ, please contact me so that I can rejoice with you and make sure you have all you need for discipleship. And so, 
that's it, y'all. That's all I have for today. I pray again that you are blessed. And please, um, like I said, feel free to contact me. Until next time, grace and peace. I love you so much. Bye.